evening, kind of hard on a day like today, but uh, maybe refreshing. Uh, Many years ago, on a blustery night in February, it wasn't quite this magical looking, but it was kind of like that. Uh, In the Seattle area where I'm from, we had a big snowstorm. And we don't get a lot of huge storms at at sea level in Seattle, so when it happens, it's kind of an event. And um, everybody kind of learns how to drive in the snow for the first time, you know, once a year. Anyway, so I'm in a Jeep going down a hill, very steep. And a uh, Jeep well-suited to the snow, good tires on it. And um, a friend and I were, were, were going down this hill, and sure enough, we noticed this really sleek, nice, black town car crunched up into the bank, hanging off the railroad tracks. Uh-oh, what happened here? We roll up on the, we roll up on the scene, and this guy, like in a three-piece suit, you know, really nice, like Gucci shoes. He's pacing back and forth, and he just doesn't know what to do. And I kind of like look at the car, and I look at the guy, and I say, you know, this is a man who has, you know, some, some power as far as the world, you know, thinks. This man has a nice car, very expensive, nice suit, and he's in a rather powerless situation. Well, I want to help him. Happen to have a toe strap in the Jeep, and I roll up on the guy, say, hey, I could pull you out of that ditch. And I almost thought about asking for, you know, a couple hundred bucks, but I didn't. They just said, you know, <laughs> the tow truck will cost you more than that. But anyway, I said, hey, you're, you're in trouble here, sir. He's like, oh, yeah, gee, um, yeah, I, I, just, I just I don't drive in the snow much, and, and I've got to get to a meeting, and, and um, if you could help me out, that would be great. Well, sure, you know, I pull him out of the ditch, and um, I'm like, okay, sir, where, where are you trying to go? Um, yeah, i got to get to West Seattle. And I'm like, where? W- West Seattle. Uh, you are quite lost. Um, th- there's only hills between you and West Seattle. It's, it's, it's 30 minutes away. That car is not going off this hill tonight in this weather. And I was like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. Look, thanks for pulling me out. I'd love to buy you a steak dinner. You and your friend here, you know, I'll take you to Ruth's Chris or something, and, you know, I'll get your card. I'm gonna thank you for your help, but I'm, I'm fine now. I'm, I'm fine. Uh, sir, look, I could li- at least let me pull you to the top of the hill, kind of limp you to the freeway, and, y- and you'll probably have a chance. No, 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 I'm serious. I, I-, I, can't-, I can't take up too much of your time. I, I don't, I don't want to do that. And, and you know, look, we'll, we'll get together. We'll, we'll have lunch and- and- or dinner or something, and I'll buy you a steak, and, and, we'll-, and we'll-, we'll talk. So you can go now. And my friend and I sort of look at each other. So I wonder why the man wouldn't accept my help. And then I think, like, of course I know why the man wouldn't accept my help. Same reason why I don't accept help. I got it. I got it. You see, the man had no idea that where he was trying to get to, he was not going to get there doing what he was doing. He just didn't know that. He didn't know that he was ill-equipped. He didn't know that he needed more help. Does that sound familiar? There was one slice of my help that he would have accepted, but no more. And without help, his only sure destination was where? Probably another ditch. So, I never found out. I never got the steak dinner. I don't know what happened to him. But this question, um, why don't we ask for more help? Do you think that maybe one kind of success might prevent us from seeing our need of help? That's another way of asking this question from the You Pick It, We Preach It submissions. How do we understand grace in a culture of entitlement? Independence, 
and triumph of the self. You see, when you're in a successful culture, you're entitled to many privileges, aren't you? You can sort of snap your fingers and things will happen for you. When you're in a culture that prizes independence, prizes the person and rewards the person who pushes to the top, we reward that person, we prize that endeavor, we make movies about it. When a person is true to themselves, when a person rises up, figures out who's, who they are, and they tell all the haters in their life to go away, this is who I am, this is what I am, we reward that, we celebrate that. And yet, God's Word says we need grace. It says that there's something deeply busted about us and our world, and only God can fix it. And so, it says we need to be saved. So, this is the question that drives the sermon. This is the question that comes from the Scripture this morning. It's the question we share with all Christians, all people at all time. Do I need to be saved? Why? Saved from what? How? What's going to save me? And for what reason do I need to be saved? And this morning, the Bible's going to speak into our situation. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and, in, and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, in his rich, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he, has, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please pray with me. God, this is your word. This is our food. This is what we need. Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving your people your word. I ask now that I may serve to make it clear and not to confuse. I ask, Lord, that above everything else, you would be honored and glorified as God and Savior. I ask that you would open our hearts this morning for what is true. Amen. This is the main point today. God saves to the full. He saves all the way. God saves to the full measure. God saves to the uttermost. What, is this, what does it mean to be saved to the full? Well, here's the roadmap this morning. Keep your eye out for this as we go through the text. God saves us from, God saves us by, God saves us for. So I'm slightly fearful that I'm going to say something dreadfully unpopular. A person's life or the life of a culture apart from Christ 
is directly influenced by evil and death. I'm going to say that again. Life is directly influenced, if it's apart from Christ, it has direct influence by evil, by death, by sin. When I became a Christian, I found this hard to believe. You know, Jesus, I found Jesus sort of personally. I read the Bible personally. Wasn't quite ready for church and wasn't really participating in church so much. And then I sort of dipped my toes into church and, and, um, and uh, eventually, you know, went to church and realized, okay, we're all kind of on the same place. But my best friend who doesn't know Christ is doing just fine. I, can I really sort of say that my way is the way? And that question's real, right? I mean, at your workplace or in our culture, like, look, we're fine. You can believe in Jesus. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But just what? Don't put your beliefs on me. You start putting your beliefs on other people, don't do that. And of course, there's, you know, some, some wisdom and care when you do share faith. And certainly, no one wants to be beat over the head with the Bible or, or stuffy conservatism or whatever. Like, people don't want to hear it. You got to be wise. But I tell you, the longer I live, the more I realize this truth, that life apart from Christ is directly influenced by evil and by death. So, this is what the Word of God says. It says, look, there's trespasses and sins we got to talk about. What are trespasses and sins? That's, those are things that we do, th- those things that we we know are wrong, or even those things that we think are right at the time, but they kind of turn out, I don't know what I was thinking. Come on, am I talking to some real folk up in here? Real? Come on. How many times have we thought this is the right thing to do? And it plays out, and you realize you have a conversation with your wife a year later, a week later, a day later, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I just didn't think that way. I didn't mean to do that. So whether we, you know, miss the target we're aiming at, or we hit exactly what we're aiming at, if we, just, if we just are not guided by God's truth, if we're just guided by our desires, we are going to miss the mark. That's what the Bible says. Look, it says, you were dead in trespasses and sin, and when you once walked, following the course of this world. So, you say, hey, I didn't mean to do it, but of course, other times we do. And then it, it says this, We all lived, everybody, the Apostle Paul, Pastor Nathan, the Ephesians, you, me, everybody lives according to the passions of their flesh, the desire of their bodies and of their minds. We're living in a time where we define ourselves, who we are, by what we desire. And I ask, is that in any way related to the life of Christ? And then look, you collect these individuals together, into cities, families, companies, friendships, special interest groups, political parties, hobbies, hobby clubs, and yes, even churches. You collect them together, these people who are trespassing and sinning, and they're they're just following their desire. They're just following what they want, who they think they are. You collect them together, and you know what? They have influence. They have a lot of influence. And people do some crazy things. Hot off the press this week, another terrorist attack. Not a day's drive from St. Louis. And the crazy thing, the terrifying thing, is that person thought he was doing a good thing. 
when 9-11 happened, people were dancing in the streets, celebrating a good thing. A top doctor in a publicly funded institution, nonchalantly talking about the sale of human tissue over white wine and salad. It seems outrageous. It, it seems outrageous. But, but not so much if you're coming from a worldview, if you're coming from a place, say, look, I'm just, you know, I'm just following the desire. The desire here is to you know, protect a good thing, you know, w- w- women not being in poverty or whatever, so we provide a service and whatever. But, but look, you, just, you hear these things and you recoil and you realize, well, wait a minute, that's what I do. I do those things. I, I think one way, this is good for me. This is who I am. This is you know, what, what I like. And eventually, eventually, it can hurt us hurt someone else, and we, we, just, we just don't know what the outcome is going to be. So, and the Apostle Paul says, we've all lived that way, carrying out the desires of our body and our mind, meaning we think what we do is just fine. And I'm telling you that that way of thinking belongs to that realm which will pass away. It'll pass away. The, the text goes further and says there's a prince of the power of the air. That's a Greek way of saying there's an evil spirit reigning and influencing and manipulating and lying. See, at this point, you're saying, wait a minute, Nathan, you're trying to tell me there's a devil? I I am. We have to just admit as Christians, look, look, we we can have coffee and you can come from your place and you can come from my place, but we're we're not going to agree probably because the, the Christian worldview is just supernatural. We believe in a supernatural worldview. You don't have to bargain with humanism or materialism or postmodernism or whatever the ism is. You you don't have to do that. You say, look, I mean, is it too much to say that we believe in a worldview where God is king, the devil is a liar, people are inclined toward evil, and there are God-given objective standards of right and wrong that we must learn from God's word? That is the Christian worldview. That belongs to the way of life. That, that worldview points us always to our need for a savior, for Jesus. John Calvin said it this way, there's no obscurity in the apostles' language here. All men or women who live according to the world, that is according to the inclinations of their flesh, are here declared to fight under the reign of Satan. Ooh, try to say that at your university. Try to say that on Facebook. Not recommended. Be wise. But God's word's saying it here. Remember, the enemy, John 10.10, comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. And God's saying we need to be saved from that. Remember the main point. I said, look, God saves to the full. And he saves from, from life that is directly influenced from evil and death, from the dominion of death and evil and everyone deciding what's right for themselves because it's being reigned, it's being manipulated. In um, ancient Ephesus, this is the city in which uh, the Christians lived when this letter was written, this is like their Edward Jones Dome. And, and it was demolished. Like, I think there's a sunset on Edward Jones Dome, right? And then there's hopefully, 
according to some, is going to be this really nice, you know, new complex. And this is what the Ephesians have. It's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was first built, and you know what? It's a temple to God. There was cult prostitution involved. There was a lot of sacrifice involved. People thought this was a great idea. And you know what? It was wiped out by a flood. But they rebuilt. Hey, remember, this is, we got to have this temple here. We, this is a good idea. This is bringing you know, commerce and tourism and, and meaning to our life. And we got to rebuild. So they rebuild. And then some guy burned it down. And then they rebuilt it again. And they built it the way you see here. This here was um, 450 feet long, 220 feet wide, 60 feet. That's five stories high. There would be 120 of these pillars, many of them carved intricately, beautiful. There would be sacrifices and temple prostitution and money being exchanged and devotion and, you know, a happy little hubbub. And here's what happened to it. This is the way it looks today. This belongs to the dominion of death, this way of thinking, this self-interest, whatever we build, whatever we create, if it does not come from the life of Christ, it belongs to the dominion of death, of sin, of evil. And God saves to the full. God saves us from that. So let's apply this point. Ask ourselves this question. Take an opinion, a political issue, a social issue, a dream, a wish, a hope, an endeavor, a goal, something about which we've made up our mind, and ask, what's influencing me? What has influenced my opinion and resolve about this issue? And I submit to you, the text, the text is pushing us here, saying, look, if that does not come directly from the life that God gives, from life in Christ, from God's wisdom and God's word, suspect is dangerous. That idea, that plan, that game, that, that goal could very well end up like the temple of Artemis. Okay, so remember, God saves to the full. We are saved from the dominion of sin, death, and evil. God has something more for us. And, and so, what next? We are bound in the here and now. What are we to do? We are offered the life of Christ, I'm suggesting. Look here. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here's the second point. point. God saves by marvelous grace. Marvelous grace. And so, and that he unites us with Christ. The grace is not just being pulled from the ditch. It's being united with the living one. We must admire the beautiful words being used here. God is rich in mercy. Our sins deserve separation from God. We're offered his fellowship in mercy. And oh, there is great love. Four different words for love in the Greek language. Okay? And this one was, was picked just specially, this, this one here. This is not family love. This is not the love of the bedroom, the erotic love. This is not friendship love. This is a special kind of love. It means it's a love that serves. It's a love that seeks. 
It's a love that doesn't give up. It's a love that sees the very person cursing you and loving them with an aching, constant, hopeful kind of love. It's a great love of energy and passion for the beloved, a love that offers itself. It's a love that gives grace to someone who doesn't deserve it. It says, I love you this much. I will make a way for you, even though you reject me, even though you don't know what you're doing. I'm going to make a way for you. Through the blood of Jesus, though your sins be red as scarlet, he will wash them white as snow. Through the power of the risen Savior, Jesus, God offers you a way. Salvation. Salvation from the domain of death, evil, and sin. And salvation by being united with Christ. Here's an illustration. A man marries a woman. She's repeatedly unfaithful to him. He says, it doesn't matter. She's my wife. They have a child together. She's unfaithful again. He says, it doesn't matter. She's my wife. I love her. I'm never going to give up. I've got this kind of love for her. I see what she could be. And she goes off after these lovers, and it's destroying her beauty. In fact, she has two other kids, don't really know who the father is, kind of questionable. He still loves her. He says, you know what, I'm going to take her away for the weekend. I'm going to take her away to the beautiful place and I'm, I'm going to speak tenderly to her. I'm going to treat her tenderly. This is the story in the book of Hosea. And God says, this is a metaphor for how I love you. God says, my love for you is like that. My desire is to love you. My compassion is for you. My heart is warm and tender for my people. I will make a way for them. They will find my love. Will they trust me to take care of them? Will they trust me? Will they, will they trust me to know what is best for them? Will they offer me all of themselves? Their very dearest of pleasures. Their sincerest of desires. Will they trust me to make them more happy? than they could ever imagine. The text here uh, is that God saves by the marvelous grace of uniting us with Christ. You see, God makes us alive together with Christ. This is the life that evil could not conquer and death could not hold down. And he offers it to us. He takes our sin. He takes our trespasses, our wayward thinking, and he says, I'll take that. And the consequences that go with it, the death on the cross, I'll take that. And now I'm going to give you what is mine, the life, the life that rose him from the dead and seats him at the right hand of God. That life is yours. It's available to you. Even though the evil you've done, I want to make you mine. Will you accept the offer? There's a kind of beauty that makes one ache. a sun falling against the sea, a rainbow shining through the rain, a baby coming into this world. Friends long estranged, reconciled in a hug. There's a kind of beauty that leaves one 
struck, speechless, aghast. This is the beauty of God's love. We can only marvel. And it's impossible to earn. How could we possibly boast? What have we done to earn such a thing? Nothing. We, we can't boast about this. It's a gift. I can only boast in the one who gave it. What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul? O oh my soul, what wondrous love of th- is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? When I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down, when I was sinking down beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. To God and to the Lamb, I will sing, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb, who is the great I am. While millions join the theme, I will sing. There is one point I want to make about this unity, and I I think it will help us apply uh, to our lives. You know, I thought about this. What does it mean, (laughs) you know, when you're having a bad day, when temptation is staring you in the face at midnight? when you're angry or frustrated and you're just in fits, when you're scared and when you're lonely, you're just depressed and down. What does this mean? I've, God seated me with Christ? That sounds like pixie dust a little bit. What does that mean, God seated me with Christ? And I found comparing this passage to the passage in Colossians, they're very similar. I found this helpful. Um, uh, Paul wrote both of these letters, and, and you could tell what was in his mind, you know, at both times. Look at Colossians. You know, you've been raised with Christ, seated at the right hand of Christ, for, for right hand of God. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him. I find it comforting somehow to know that when I'm suffering, when I'm tempted, when I'm angry, when I'm lonely, there's an aspect of my life that's hidden. There's a a private part of my fellowship that God only knows. That the very power that raised him up there, I'm up there with him. And I can seek what is hidden. I can seek that power and that help. And I can also wait. God, one day you're going to blow the cover off of this thing. There's, there's more to the story here. I'm waiting. And the promise is, God's going to show us this fantastic kindness. He's going to show, He's going to reveal His own glory in a way, reveal our glory, and reveal how much He loves His people. So, the point of application is, hope and rest in what is hidden with Christ and seek strength from that place. That, I believe, will help us face trouble or hardship. So review. Remember I said God saves to the full. He saves us from the dominion of sin, evil, and death. And he unites us with Christ. That's how God saves. And it's marvelous. It's wonderful. It's grace. Finally, God saves for a new life of reflecting and joining his work. It says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, our God makes beautiful things. He says a Christian is a new thing. It's not Jesus on top, Jesus on top, Jesus on the side. You know, I'll have a completely selfish life directed by my own desires, and I'll have a little Jesus on Sunday for fire insurance to pull me out of the ditch. That's not it. It's an entirely new kind of life. C.S. Lewis once asked, are Christians nice people or are they new men? They're new. And God's grace gives us the ability to walk and to do new things. He prepared them. You know, when I was a a kid, I had a friend and his dad was a welder. And, uh, you know, welding is, is, if there's any welders in here, you know how awesome you are. I mean, welding is so cool, you know, like bright flame that could melt your face off, could burn your finger off in a single stroke, and they're building things and beating on it, and so my friend learned how to weld. And I was 15, and I was watching him learn how to weld, and his dad was careful to say, look here, son, he knew what kind of projects around the house or what kind of things that dad wanted to build, he would lay, you know, lay, out, lay it out for his son and say, look, th- you can handle this. Oh, I got some welding to do, you know, the fence needs to be repaired. So he welds a fence. Oh, hey, you know, I'm going to build a little trailer for the lawnmower. Why do you need a trailer for the lawnmower? I mean, use the wheelbarrow. But, you know, the dad prepared the son to build a trailer for the lawnmower, and he did. And that's kind of like that, only for us, it's good old-fashioned Christian morality. It's meat and potatoes. So the point of application here is put on some steel-toed boots, and read the rest of Ephesians. Ephesians written in two parts. First half, this is all what it is. This is what God's done. This is who you are in Christ. This is what he's done. Second half, okay, we're going to talk about sexuality. We're going to talk about diversity in the church. We're going to talk about how you treat your kids. We're going to talk about a man sacrificing for his wife. We're going to talk about a woman respecting her husband. We're going to talk about how we use our mouth anger. We're going to talk about pure speech. You see, there's these points of application that are very clear. And I'll I'll challenge you to read that this afternoon, maybe after lunch, rest up, sit on the couch, read the second half of Ephesians. Being in Christ gives us a moral ability. You see, we're new, we have access, we're in Christ, we have power, we should make a moral effort toward good old-fashioned Christian morality. God has prepared us for new and beautiful things. So, to review, God saves to the full. All the way. Saves from the dominion of evil, of sin, of death. He's marvelously gracious and he unites us to Christ. And he gives us good work to do. Because God saves to the full. God saves to the full measure. God saves to help you seven days a week. He saves to affect your every relationship. God saves to work in your marriage, in your family. God saves to help the health of your body, of your mind, and your emotions. God saves to heal you of your past, to be with you in the here and now, and to direct your future. God saves to the full. So remember the man stuck on the hill. It's not just being pulled out of the ditch. It's walking in the life of Christ and all that he has for us. So as a final 
answer to the you pick it, we preach it question. How do we understand God's grace in a culture of entitlement, of independence, and that celebrates the triumph of the self? Here's my answer. Salvation, being saved, is nothing I can do myself. It's not about what I think. It's, it's not about what I think myself to be, my desires, my thoughts, my opinion. Those things will pass away. I need complete and utter saving. Salvation to the full. One last point of application. Never overlook the power of repentance. And so, being a pastor, we're going to do that together in a word of confession. Please say this with me. Almighty God, we confess to you our failure to fully walk in the benefits of your salvation. You save us from sin death, and evil. You save us by marvelous grace uniting us to Christ. You save us for a new life of reflecting and joining your work. In all of this, you have loved us with a special love, and yet we have failed to regard you, to thank you, honor you, and follow you. We seek to do so now. By your mercy, we humbly ask for your forgiveness. In faith, we believe that you accept us through the blood of Jesus. In his name and for his sake, we pray, amen. And I'm just going to pray for us all as well. Please bow your heads. God of the universe, we are alone without you. Lord, we have a short lease on life. And without you, it comes to an end. And God, we're trusting you for salvation. We need to be saved not only in the end, not only to be pulled from the ditch. God, we need save, being saved from our thinking. We need to be saved from our troubles. Lord, we need to be saved from our desires even. God, please encourage us and help us understand that you unite us to Christ. You save us to the full. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you to stand and I'm going to read the assurance of God's pardon. Please stand. Please receive these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Amen.